Well, good morning, everyone. Happy summer, first week, right? And we have such beautiful summer weather out there, don't we, right now? Um, we're beginning a new series for the summer. Um, we're going to be traveling along with Paul as he went on his journeys um, and just looking at what, what is in there that can speak to our lives today in this time. Um, almost everything has a beginning, doesn't it? And often beginnings, you know, they begin very small, right? I mean, I heard a story once where someone said, you know, they were traveling through this small little town in the middle of nowhere, and they stopped at the gas station, and just to make conversation with the, the guy who was pumping the gas, they said, any, like, important or famous people ever come from this town? And the guy said, no, just babies, just babies, because whether you, you know, you become successful or whatever that looks like for you or whether you're just something else, it doesn't matter. Everyone starts at the same spot, really small, right? I got a picture of a house up here. Is it, do you know anything significant about this house? This house, from this house, um, a little company was started and it is now the largest company in the world according to market cap valuation. In this house, two university dropouts named, uh, let's see what I have here, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, they started a little company that has become to be known as Apple. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> this was Steve Jobs' parents' house. And um, fast forward to today, and Apple no longer um, works or operates out of this house, but they have a new, a new place. Next picture. It's called Apple Park. And it kind of has that spaceship-esque look to it. And last I checked, there's like 163 or 4,000 um, employees at Apple. But it didn't begin there. It began in Steve Jobs' parents' house with two guys. Everything has a beginning, doesn't it? You know, even, even church has a beginning. Like, I can think of New Hope, or Pastor Scott was saying, you know, he's been at New Hope 25 years. And then New Hope Kingston was started in 2018. I think about how the, the denomination were part of the Wesleyan Church. It was started not that long ago, 1968. It was a merger between a couple of groups. But I want to take us today to the start of the church in the book of Acts. And you know, there's something, there's something about when things just start off, Right? You know, like, there's, everything's new, everything's fresh. There's, like, innovation, that sense in the air. There's often sometimes rapid growth in an organization when it just starts out. And there's this kind of, like, this feeling, like, let's build the plane while it's in the air kind of idea. I remember my dad once told me, we were driving past um, the ambulance base in our community. And, you know, it has three or four bays and a number of ambulances and paramedics there 24-7. And he told me, he's like, do you know that, do you know where the first ambulance in our community used to reside? And do you know who used to drive the first ambulance in our community? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, the funeral director was also the ambulance driver. And I don't know, does, <laughs> is there just like a thought that crosses your mind, where you're like, is there a little bit of conflict of interest here? Like, if I call 911 and need to get to the hospital fast, is he really going to put the pedal to the metal? Or like, where's he going? Yeah, or wait it out. <laughs> and either way, he's going to get us, right? 
It's crazy to think stories. You know, the beginnings of things are just like that. It's just like, we don't do that now. The funeral director doesn't come up to us, you know, in his ambulance or converted hearse. I don't know what it is. And take us to the hospital. But that's how it began back in those days. We're going to be looking over this summer the book of Acts. And if you don't know anything about the book of Acts, the book of Acts is that book right after Jesus has had his earthly ministry. It's, um, he has... Died on the cross, Good Friday. Easter is passed, he's risen again, and 40 days later, we have something called ascension, and that's when he is taken back up into heaven. And right before he goes, he gives this, not so much even just a command, but a promise. And this is what he says in Acts 1.8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this verse is basically a summary of exactly what happens in Acts. And the church goes from that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, and that church explodes and grows and grows. I don't know about you, but when you read the book of Acts, have you ever had that thought? You're like, man, the early church was on fire. Like the things they did, the stories they had to tell. And you, at least for me, there's been times in my life I've scratched my head and being like, well, why is it not like that right now? Like in Canada where we are, in the church, in my church experience, how come it's not always been that case? And that's why we want to go back and look at those early days to see just what are some themes that God may be wanting to reveal to us afresh in this day. We're going to be focusing on this guy called Paul. And for those of you who don't know who Paul is, he, had, he, was, he was a very religious Jew, and he hated Christians. So that's a good start, right? He hated Christians. In fact, he went around trying to persecute them and throw them in prison, and he's going off to this one city to persecute Christians, and God meets him on the road. He has this crazy encounter with God where Jesus speaks to him from the clouds, and he leaves that city as a Christian, that's crazy when you think about it. He goes to the city to persecute Christians. He leaves after an encounter with God as a Christian. Something really must have happened to him in that moment to, to do this, this complete like 180 of his life trajectory. And for the rest of his days, Paul felt called by God to spread the message of Jesus throughout the outside of the area of what we know as Israel. And so he spent a lot of, he had a lot of epic road trips, we could say, where he traveled like through what's now modern day Turkey and to Greece and Italy. And we're just going to pick up today where it all begins, the start of his first epic road trip, or it's called his first missionary journey. And we're going to go to Acts 13 today. And I'm going to start and read verse 1. This is what it says. Paul and a bunch of other guys, they're in this city called um, Antioch. And it says this, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian from the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. And it says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, 
The men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. I want to just ask you a quick question. See if you were paying attention to what I just read. Who, whose idea was it for Paul and his companion Barnabas to go on this first missionary journey? Whose idea? Was it Paul and Barnabas' idea? Was it the church in Antioch, the leadership? They said, hey, Paul, Barnabas, let's go. We want to send you out. No, it says it was God's idea. I find it so interesting that we're beginning this series on the journeys of Paul, and the first verses we read are where the Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. This is not their plan or their idea. And I think there's a point to be made here that we could all grow from living by, and it's this idea, strive to be aligned to God's will. Strive to be aligned to God's will. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to make plans and then ask God to bless them after I've already made them. (laughs) And that wasn't the case in this church. It says they were just fasting and praying and they were seeking what God had. You know, we sometimes think we're pretty bright, don't we? We sometimes think that we have a lot of good to offer God, a lot of gifting, a lot of common sense and wisdom, and yet... How important it is to take that step back in humility and say, am I actually in God's will? All plans begin. They all begin as a plan. The question is, whose plan? There's a a pastor years ago named Warren Wearsby, and he was uh, pastoring this one church, he said, and they had this building project. They had to build a new church facility because the church had grown. And so he is overseeing this building project, and he said, That first part seemed to take forever to get going. He said they spent thousands of dollars on soil tests because lo and behold, where they wanted to build this church just happened to be an old lake bed. And they wanted to make sure the soil was good and didn't shift. And so after spending thousands of dollars testing the soil, then the the concrete guys come and they start making the forms. And he says it felt like those concrete guys were there for weeks just putting in the forms. And finally he says, you know, He gets a little frustrated. He wants to get this thing moving. And so he goes to the foreman and he says, what is taking so long with these forms? And the foreman looks at him and he says, Pastor, the foundation is the most important part of this building. And then he said these words. And he said, you you have to go deep if you want to go high. And Warren Wearsby says those words became like a sermon to him for the rest of his life. You gotta get the foundation right. Because if you don't get the foundation right, whatever you build on it, it's not gonna stand true, it's not gonna hold. And so that's what we see Paul and Barnabas doing here is they get the foundation right. They ask themselves, what is the will of God? What is the will of God in this matter? Don't know if you noticed another phrase in there. It said, fasting and praying. We talk, we talk sometimes in the West about fasting and praying, don't we? But oftentimes, and I'm as guilty as anyone, sometimes it feels like we kind of more give lip service to it sometimes. You know, because in our Western culture, let's be honest, fasting and praying for things to happen is so outside the Western worldview. You know, oftentimes our prayers are, are kind of after we have exhausted all of the actual solutions then we'll like put a prayer out there, you know, kind of like, you know, rubbing, 
rubbing, you know, or having a rabbit's foot or something, finding a four-leaf clover. We have these crisis prayers just hoping that God is going to do something. But in many parts of the world and in these times, it wasn't that case. It wasn't, that wasn't the case. They had this strong conviction that through fasting and praying, God would actually speak to people. I heard a, a North American pastor once say, he said 20 years ago, he was a denominational leader in his church and he decided they were going to go to the Philippines to see the church there in the Philippines. And in this denomination, the, the leaders in the church, they called them bishops. That's what they called them. And so he was going to go see the bishop of the Philippines and he's having lunch with this guy and he just casually asked this bishop, he said, what is your vision for the church in the Philippines? And the bishop replied, my vision is that all of our pastors would fast and pray for 40 days leading up to our annual conference. And this American pastor was telling the story. He said, you know, I've been around the church a long time in North America, and I've heard lots of churches talk all the time about vision, values, mission, purpose statements, and yet how little, he said, I have ever heard someone say our vision is to fast and pray for God to do something. We love strategy, because strategy kind of gives us this feeling like we're in control, right? It makes sense in our minds of what we're doing. And yet, this American pastor, he said, that, that, that trip to the Philippines was 20 years ago, and he said, I just can't help but look at the results. He said, in 20 years, that church in the Philippines has almost doubled in size. He said, in many other parts of the world, where they're fasting and praying, the church has also doubled in size. And then he says, but in the West, we're not doubling in size, you know, a lot of churches are actually shrinking. And he just gave this challenge of, do we not think that maybe there is something to seeking God's face, even through fasting and prayer? That this idea, you know, pr fasting is not um, a hunger strike, just to, just to let you know. It's this, idea of, you know, just saying no to physical things that we need, good things like food, and just devoting ourselves and spending time seeking God's face. That's what the early church did as they started his journeys. And so after that moment, this is what happens. It says, so Paul, so Barnabas and Saul, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached the word of God, and John Mark went with them as their assistant. Do you know where Cyprus is? I think I have a map up here for those of you who just, it might come. After a couple weeks ago, I don't know what's going to come sometimes. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, Cyprus is just this island in the Mediterranean. And you know, have you ever wondered why Cyprus why was that their first spot? Well, the Bible doesn't say. But we do know that this was Barnabas's, this was his home. This is where he was from. And I just find it interesting that the first place they go is to Barnabas, his companion's home. Because there's something about, you know, if we got to begin at home, wherever we are right now in our faith, we got to begin at home. If our, if our faith in God, if our Christianity isn't believable to those that know us and love us the most and see how we actually are, then is there really much point in taking it farther afield? Some of you will know that, you know, let's be honest, 
being a Christian at home is sometimes the hardest place to be a Christian. And even Jesus, you know, he said, you know, he made kind of a, allusions to the fact that even though he spent a lot of time ministering in his homeland, it was hard going. The people weren't very receptive there. And yet, it begins at home. And it says they go to this city and it doesn't tell us what they did there. We don't know what happened. Because the author of this book wants to take us to this other event on the other side of the island. And this is what it says. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, he interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Second point I want to make to you today is this idea that the battle between good and evil is real. Did you notice what it said? This sorcerer, he was trying to interfere with this guy hearing the gospel. He was trying to stop him from believing. And I, I believe that Paul, when he saw this happening, he knew this wasn't just stemming from a physical jealousy, but there was something spiritual going on underneath. There was about to be a clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And I sometimes wonder, do we sometimes forget this reality that there is a spiritual things going on? You know, this idea of angels and demons, not to be scared of that stuff, but um, do we really actually believe that that exists? The Bible seems to be clear that, at least in some things, some things in the physical realm are a direct result of something that's going on in the physical realm. And the question is, are we aware of this? And are we prepared for it? We know that the devil, it says, you know, his whole goal is to lie, to deceive us, to tempt us, because he wants to take us down with him. He knows he, he doesn't have an escape plan, so he just wants to drag as many people away from God, away from all that is good, and that's what he tries to do and spend his time doing. But are we prepared for this reality that there is a war between good and evil, and we're right in the midst of it whether we like it or not. Have you ever been unprepared for something? And has it had a negative result on what you were trying to do? I was thinking of an example. Where, when was I unprepared? Well, one of them I thought was years ago, the first summer we had a few pigs. I think I have a picture of some of the pigs we used to have. And... This one year, voila, <laughs> this one year, I remember, we were taking pigs to the fair. I was in 4-H, swine club, and <laughs> don't laugh. This is serious. <laughs> You're just going to have to trust me. <laughs> fair day was getting close. And we had to get these pigs loaded and get them to the fair. And this was our first time with pigs. And so we didn't have a great handling facility. And, you know, I had these illusions that the pigs, you know, would 
you know, they would come when called, they would go right into their little trailer, and off we would go to the races, so to speak. But, of course, we start trying to load those pigs one evening, and would they go in? You call them, you call them, no. You have feed, no. And so you got to start trying to shove them and try to shoo. You can't do that with pigs. <laughs> That's what I discovered. If there's a way out, they're just going to dart around. Pigs are quite smart. If, if they get the sense that you're trying to get them to this certain place, they're going to go somewhere else. And somehow or other, after like a couple hours of being the most frustrated, chasing pigs in circles in their pen, trying to get them into this trailer, somehow or other, I don't even know to this day how we got them in, but finally, they were in. And I decided in my, to myself, I said, I'm never going to go through that again. Good grief. And so the next year we had pigs. I had a different plan. I was more prepared this time. So this time, what we did was we backed up the trailer to the pen a couple days before. We opened the trailer, and we put their feet inside the trailer. And so for a couple days, they got used to this trailer. And sure enough, they started climbing in the trailer on their own. And they started eating, and then they actually started just sleeping in there overnight. And so all I had to do when loading day came is early in the morning, I crept out before they woke up, and I just closed the trailer because they were already inside sleeping. And it was done, just like that. I tell you, sometimes the difference between doing it the easy way and the hard way is preparation. And I wonder, is that, how often would that not be the case when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to warding against the work of the, work of the devil? Like, do we take that time? Are we prepared? Are we praying to God for discernment? Are we praying protection over our families, not just for physical things, but actually spiritual things? Are we prepared? Because the reality is this. If we are, if we are doing what God says, there's going to be a bullseye on our back at some point, right? If we are seen as a threat to the enemy, we are going to experience opposition at some point. The battle between good and evil is real. Paul says this in Ephesians 6. He says, put on all the armor, God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let's put on the armor of God. Let's be aware of the spiritual realities around us. But it doesn't end there. I didn't get to the, the story with Saul and, or Paul and this sorcerer. This is how it ends. It says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye and he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw that what had happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. There's a reality going on between good and evil, but it's not the end. This is the best part. Is 
we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is king. Jesus is king even over darkness. You know, if you look in scripture, no matter where you see a confrontation between the devil and God, guess who always wins? Jesus, he always wins. And when Paul saw that this governor was starting to be deceived by this guy, he said, not on my watch, because God has given us authority, authority over the darkness, and Paul rebukes this guy. You know, you might seem, it might seem a bit, it might seem a bit severe to, to cause a guy to go blind, doesn't it? And yet, I think, in God's eyes, does not going physically blind, that's less of a consequence than leading someone into spiritual blindness. We have authority as believers. I, I had a pastor growing up. His name was George, and he was from Zimbabwe, southern Africa. And one Sunday morning, George, in his sermon, he told this story about his grandfather. His grandfather was a farmer in Zimbabwe, and he was also a lay pastor, so he would preach from time to time. And on this farm, he had these fields of crops that we don't grow here because it's too cold. And one of the biggest threats to a crop down there, he said, was baboons coming in the night. He said they'd come down from the hills and they'd just like destroy a crop in a night. And he said what you had to do is you had to get people out there all night long guarding the field so the baboons wouldn't come and destroy it. And so every night they would send people out. One day, George says, his grandfather was going away for a few days to this church conference that he went to and before he left, he prayed over this field that God would protect the field and when he, had done pr- when he was done praying, he went to his family and said, when I'm away, you don't need to guard this field. He's like, you've got enough to do while I'm gone. You don't need to guard this field. And everyone's like, what? Why? If we don't guard the field, the baboons are going to come. But they did what he said. And sure enough, George says, as a little boy, he remembers this, that as long as his grandfather was away, no baboons came down into that field. None. It didn't make any sense. And he said, yet the first day that his grandfather was back, sure enough, the guys go out and guard the field, and the baboons were back. You know, that's that's a crazy story, but when it's someone you know, when it's someone's grandfather, imagine what that speaks about faith and believing that not only do we have authority over darkness, but apparently we even have authority over baboons at times. (laughs) I'm wondering today, if we can stand and just believe that the devil gets scared when his people pray because we have authority in his, in his name, I want to just go over those three truths. As we start this journey today, going through the book of Acts, Paul starts it with three things, and I think we'd be wise to do the same thing. Number one is be in God's will. It should come up. There it is. Be in God's will. Second thing is, know you're in a battle, but three, don't fear because Jesus is king. I don't know today if there's any one of those things that you're feeling like maybe you're not doing so great a job at. Do you know you're in God's will right now? Are you? If you know you're not in God's will, let's stop making, you know, we always make excuses as why we're not following God. Let's stop making excuses and get, to the, get back to that point, that foundation, that am I in God's will? 
Am I aware that there's spiritual reality going on or am I just pretending that it doesn't exist? Because that's the best way the devil can do stuff is just make people think he's not real. And thirdly, do we know the authority we have in Jesus? Is there, is there anything in our life where, like Paul, we should kind of just say, not on my watch are you going to have you know, a heyday? Not on my watch is the devil going to have you know, way with our families, ways with our church, ways in our own lives. Is there anything today that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about? Be in God's will. Know you're in a battle. But don't fear because Jesus is King. Let's pray. Father, we just, we thank you Thank you, God, that you have given us authority over the enemy. You have given us authority to, to stand against, just like Paul did. And I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just point in our hearts where, where we need more of you in it. Are we in your will? Is that the foundation we're starting from? Do we know our authority in you? God, I just thank you for today and I pray that as we go towards out this week that we would be listening to whatever you're saying and obey it. God, help us to obey what you're speaking to us right now. Amen.